You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. Even though, generally speaking, people don't mean it, most people do awful things to each other. They don't mean it because it has never occurred to them to pay attention to what they're actually doing. It has never occurred to them to pay attention to what the implications or ramifications of their own behavior or misbehavior might have on those around them, might have on their own lives for that matter. When people misbehave, when people do treat others awfully, they do it mindlessly because they are mindless. We know for a fact that when we operate on automatic pilot, we never act. We always react. We don't react to what is going on. We don't even react to what we think is going on. We react to something that happened way in the past that resembles what we think is going on now. And it's all automatic. And any reaction to what isn't going on at the moment can never be the right thing to do. It'll always be the wrong thing to do. Or if it is the right thing to do, it'll be dumb luck, a one in a million chance that they actually get it right. People have done awful things to you in your life. Sometimes they're very subtle, but they are, regardless of their subtlety, life-changing. Let's have a roll call of some of those people as we look into how the normal life evolves, if that's even the right word to use. How the normal life moves from one disaster to the next. I actually mean that. Let's start with your parents. Now, you might say to yourself, hold on, my parents have brought me up with loving care, with the best will in the world. And yes, most parents do. And yet, most parents are mindless. And therefore, the little things that parents do to us when we are young and impressionable, that they will forget five minutes later because it was just something they did mindlessly. They may not even realize they were doing it in the first place. They will leave a lasting impression on the little mind that takes a psychological snapshot of how they feel when that is said to them or done to them. Now, the interesting thing is that this starts three months before you're born. There's quite a lot of research that shows that the unborn child in the final three months before birth is taking in all of the available information from its surroundings, from the interaction that its mother has with those around her, including more often than not, but obviously not always, the partner of the woman carrying the child. Now, you must remember that children in the womb share the same hormones, share the same neurotransmitters, share the same blood as the person carrying them. And therefore, if the person carrying them is stressed, for example, 
and is therefore self-injecting cortisol into her system. That's going to run through the bloodstream of the child as well. And the child is going to start suffering from stress before it ever hits this big bad world into which it will be launched. We know for a fact that children pick up on the nuances of the not only the mother's emotional state, but the emotional state of the environment in which she finds herself, and indeed the emotional state of those around her who are interacting with her. Research shows, for example, that young children will recognise after birth music that was played to them before birth. Very young infants have a preference for nice, calm adult talk over baby talk because nice, calm adult talk is what they would have ideally experienced whilst still in the womb. In other words, the formation of you as who you think you are started in the couple of weeks before you were born. In the ensuing 12 months, your brain is under construction, under heavy construction. And therefore you're picking up a load of stuff in those 12 months that obviously you're clearly not aware of, you're only an infant, but that actually shape the structure of your brain. Because we know from the study of infantile neuroplasticity that the brain is shaped according to the use to which it is put. Now, as a small infant, you're not deliberately putting it to use yourself. It is being influenced by things that are being done for you and to you during that formative construction period. If, for example, you were a colicky baby, baby with a lot of wind, baby who never shut up crying, I suppose. <laughs> We've all had one of those, or some of us certainly have. And you didn't get the attention that you're crying warranted, that already, even at that stage, gives you an impression of undeservedness. It gives you an impression that you are not worthy of the attention that's actually needed as a result of your crying. But the influences of our environment in those first 12 months are far more subtle because we're picking up everything. We're picking up the conversations that the adults around us have in relation to how the world works. At six months old, we already will understand language that we won't speak for another nine to 12 months. And we're soaking all this stuff in all of the time. This development goes on through the second year and into the really crucial third year, which we've talked about before. When the developing child, when you, when you were a developing child, when I was one too, we developed what was known as theory of mind. We understood that everybody around us were not of one mind, that our parents had minds of their own. They didn't think I was the center of the universe. Our siblings had minds of their own and the peers with whom we were mingling had minds of their own as well. That's an important point, which I'll come back to in a moment. What we learned during the third year of our lives was nothing will ever be given to us on a plate in this life. Now, isn't that an interesting learning, by the way, when 
Otherwise, in this podcast, we talk about effortlessness and how we're entitled to have all good things. We're entitled to abundance. We are deserving of abundance. And yet during the third year of our lives, we learn, or at least we're told as a result of all the interaction we are experiencing, you get nothing for nothing. Nothing will be given to you on a plate. You're going to have to negotiate, collaborate and communicate and indeed manipulate others around you to give yourself a fair shot at getting what you want or more to the point, actually getting what you think you want. We had a discussion about that in one of our most recent podcast episodes. These interactions in particular with your peers, I said I'd come back to it. If you don't have interactions with peers in the third year of your life, you're actually going to miss out on the fundamentals of understanding how to, I was going to say behave yourself with other people around you. Actually, if you go back to the start of this conversation today, actually how to misbehave yourself with others around you, but at least you'll be misbehaving yourself with the goal of trying to get what you think you want. Crazy, actually, when you say it that way, isn't it? One's ability to communicate, collaborate and negotiate and indeed manipulate by the age of three is the most reliable predictor of one's social skills as an adult. Let that one soak in for a minute. In other words, here we are three years of age. We haven't really a clue what's actually going on because we're still only little kids living in the moment. And we've learned all this heavy duty stuff and it's going to shape the rest of our lives. Most importantly, we have learned heavy duty stuff about ourselves as a result of trying to learn our communication, collaboration and negotiation skills and indeed manipulation skills. This is the crucial year in all our lives. This is when awful stuff is done to you by people who claim to love you. And that sounds terrible. And people will pick me up on it. And people often do. I know it sounds terrible. But effectively, what I'm saying is mindless parents who, in other words, parents who haven't bothered to wake up, parents who haven't made the proper decision to become self-aware, mindless parents operating on automatic pilot do stuff to their kids that marks them for the rest of their lives. Now, often when I say that to people in a workshop, for example, you start noticing people cringing a little bit. You see some tears in the eyes of some people. You have some people who are bawling, crying, and they're all bawling, crying, or have tears in their eyes or cringing for the same reason. They're saying to themselves, what in God's name did I do to my children when they were young? And is there anything I can do to rectify it at this stage? No, it's never too late. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having these conversations at all, would we? But, but the key point and the theme of this week's episode is stuff was done to you in the past. If you continue to use your mind normally, you continue to do the stuff that was done to you in the past to yourself again and again and again. There's another aspect to this, of course, that people will take on board what I have just said and blame their parents for who they think they are or blame their parents for the fact that they still 
in their adult lives hop from one abusive relationship into another, learning nothing in the process, or blame their parents for the fact that they're failures, or indeed blame their parents for the fact that they're successes. <laughs> That's an interesting one. But anyway, they, the key point I'm making is that most people will hop on the bandwagon of blaming their parents. There is no blame involved in this. This is not a blame game. You cannot blame somebody who wasn't there. A mindless person is not there. A mindless person is living in the shadows of their own thoughts that they picked up along the way from what people did to them, particularly, as I said, in their formative third year. You can't blame them. What you can say to yourself is, well, I'm not going to do the same thing. Even if you think it's too late, by the way, if you have children of 14 or 15, it's never too late. What you have to do now is say, okay, I can blame nobody for who I think I am. I can blame nobody for the mistakes I might continually make. Because when we're using our minds normally, we continually make the same mistakes and never learn from anything because we're operating on automatic pilot. But instead of cringing and blaming yourself, or indeed instead of blaming some third party like your parents, as I said, this is not a blame game. It's a responsibility game, but it's actually not a game at all. This is life. And you'll only start living your life when you do take responsibility for the one and only thing over which you can exercise absolute responsibility and exercise total control. And that is your own state of mind, not what is going on in your head as a result of the things that were done to you in the past. I'm not talking about going in and trying to rearrange those deck chairs. What I'm saying is that you need to take responsibility for your state of mind, not what's been rattling around in your mind. And this is another interesting point because an awful lot of people will say to me, well, I'm this way or that way. I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I, I have terrible misgivings about myself. I have an awful lot of self-doubt, low self-esteem. Blah, de, blah, de, blah, de, blah, de, blah. People will say to me, I need to go back and figure out why I'm this way. That's what psychoanalysts do. That's what psychoanalysts charge you for. Isn't it interesting that the couple of psychoanalysts that I know who are online program owners stopped being psychoanalysts within a couple of months of getting into the online program because they realized what they were doing was in enabling somebody revisit their past they were actually enabling the person relive their past in other words they weren't just doing it to themselves automatically subconsciously as a result of the way in which the normal crazy mind actually works they were reliving it in vivid detail as a result of being psychoanalyzed and very often hypnotherapy would be involved as well and that's a dangerous place to go to there are loads of cases and a lot of evidence in relation to people being hypnotized back into opening the pandora's box on a past that actually wasn't there at all because obviously under hypnosis people are sensitized to suggestion they're very open to suggestion so you don't need to go there at all you don't need to figure out why you are who you only think you are as an adult 
All you need to do is take responsibility for your own state of mind. But I started out this week's episode by saying that people mindlessly do awful things to each other. We've only just started that discussion by talking about your parents. Because your siblings would have done mindless things to you as well. They knew no better. They were only children at the time as well. And they were soaking up, like you were soaking up, all of the influences, the bad influences of what was going on around them. And personalizing them, owning them, and going in on themselves and turning themselves into the person that they think they are in exactly the same way as you are going through the same process. Now, you might say that I'm painting an awfully negative picture, but developmental psychology has told us again and again and again that we always preferred to take negative pictures of what was going on around us, of what was being done to us, over positive pictures, because it prepares us for later life as adults, when we need to be on our guard, when we need to be defensive, when we need to always be looking for threats, because you must bear in mind that the brain that you have between your two ears was designed to go out hunting for tonight's dinner. It wasn't designed to enable you live your life to the full whilst enjoying yourself and having everything that you want effortlessly. Or at least that's the piece of equipment that you had between your two ears before you started meditating. Because the minute you start meditating, the phenomenon of neural plasticity, even in adults, kicks in. In other words, you've changed how you're using your brain as a result of which your brain changes to meet your new requirements. Indeed, even people in their 70s will restructure their brains when they start meditating for the first time. The most telling thing about the latest research in that regard is that people in their 70s will, through meditation, undo the aging process in their neural pathways as they restructure their brains. That's the power of meditation. But we talked about parents, we talked a little about siblings, but an awful lot of people that I work with when I meet them first, they're holding some grudge as a result of something that was done to them by somebody else in the past. Or actually, if I am quite correct about how I phrase this, they're holding some grudge about something that they think somebody did to them in the past. Let me explain. Let me explain with a first-hand example. I had a business, mid-90s. I had a business that was going places. And we took in external investors. And the external investors forged a few documents and stole our business. It's the easiest way of putting it. There's no point in going into any details whatsoever, and we're not going to name names. Oh, wouldn't it be fun if I did? Anyway, the normal reaction to that would be, these people are doing something dreadful to us. And that gets in on you, the more you think about that, and you start feeling angry. As somebody said to me recently, I am feeling fury. It doesn't matter what word you put on it. The key thing I want to explain to you is that if you think somebody did something to you in the past and it is causing you whatever it's causing you negatively in your mind by replaying what that person did to you in the past, 
you're madder than you should actually not give yourself credit for because it's bad enough that somebody would do something awful to you in the first place. What's really crazy is that you'd keep doing it to yourself again by thinking about it, by ruminatively thinking about it, by allowing your blood to simmer to boiling point, by injecting cortisol, the stress drug, into your system, increasing your heart rate, increasing your blood pressure, suppressing your digestive system, suppressing your immune system, adding fatty cholesterol to the tubes in your cardiovascular system, and slowly, but absolutely, killing yourself. I said a minute ago that people actually only think that somebody like our investors did bad stuff to them. If our investors hadn't done what they did to us, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. In fact, I might be dead from the stress of trying to deal with those people in the intervening years. Those investors did something for me. Everybody who has ever done anything to you, you only think they did it to you. They actually did it for you because it provided you and continues to provide you with the opportunity to learn, to understand, to not make the same mistakes again, but most importantly of all, to appreciate where you are now as a result of every single little thing that you thought happened to you on the way, but which in fact along the way happened for you. So there are a couple of key lessons in what we're exploring today. Never allow anybody else steal your energy by thinking that they are doing something to you. They probably, first and foremost, don't mean it. I happen to think that my investors actually meant it. In fact, that was the way they actually did business. I learned subsequently that quite a number of other people who had encountered them, who had got involved with them, had lost their businesses too. It's part and parcel for the way in which these guys did their business. But most people don't mean what they're doing because as we said right at the outset, they're doing it unwittingly. They're doing it mindlessly. They're doing it maybe because they're jealous of you. And there's an interesting one because that's just a thought. People are jealous of other people because they don't think they're good enough themselves or they think the other person is better or they think the other person has something that they think they deserve or they would like to have or they would like to experience. All the while knowing deep down, because this is what actually feeds their jealousy, that they think they're undeserving themselves in the first place. That's a whole different conversation that we need to have in relation to the question that I am often asked when I work with people in helping them understand what they truly and really want out of life. When they get to the point of realizing what they really want, they will often ask me the question, do you think I deserve it? There's an undeservedness running through us all. But as I said, that's an entirely different conversation. The key point I want to get across in this episode is that when you adopt the attitude 
explain what I mean by that, because people often talk about attitude, but they don't know what they're talking about. But when you adopt the attitude that anything that was ever done to you was in fact done for you, it releases all the anger and the fury. It releases all of the horrible habit that normal crazy people have of doing what they thought was done to them once again and again and again by their own hand. It is liberating. And what I mean by adopting the attitude goes back to what I said earlier on in relation to taking responsibility for your own state of mind. Because attitude comes from the thoughts that were running in our head. For example, let's take a really simple example of that. If I hate the job I'm doing, that will generate a bad attitude when I go about my work. And that's only going to get me into more and more trouble as I move forward. That's an example of where attitude actually comes from. In other words, attitude, like emotion, or what we think of as emotion, attitude comes from the thoughts that your mind is selecting for you at this moment in time. Listen to what I just said. Your mind running on automatic pilot will automatically select those thoughts to which you automatically and unwittingly give your attention. Those thoughts come from your stored knowledge. Your stored knowledge was learned when you were young and impressionable during your formative years. You're never thinking about or giving your attention to or reacting to what's going on in the here and now when you're using your mind normally. Thoughts that your automatic pilot automatically selects for you dictate your state of mind now and your emotional state and your attitude now. If you're running on automatic pilot, your emotional state is bound to be skewed towards the negative. And your emotional state of mind then picks which thoughts you will give your attention to in the next here and now. It's a downward spiral. When you take responsibility for your own state of mind, you stop paying attention to any of the thoughts that hold you back. You stop paying attention to any of the thoughts that generate what I've described as a bad attitude. You approach what's going on in the here and now with a clarity of mind, in a clear state of mind. So you know what's going on, and you know how to behave yourself. This, this is totally different from reacting to what you think is going on and misbehaving yourself. The result is that you begin to move forward in your life, and you begin to experience the effortlessness of moving forward in your life to achieve the things that you want to achieve. And this overturns one of the key things that I mentioned earlier on, that we learn during the third year of our lives, that nothing is going to be handed to you on a plate in this life. That's not true. And not only is that not true, most of what you learn during your formative years isn't true either. Who you thought you were, which you learned during your formative years, that's not you. How you were taught the world works during your formative years, that isn't how the world actually works. Quantum physics explains it completely differently now. Pretty much everything that you learned that your automatic pilot has been using to enable you make it through the day is untrue. 
when you turn up to the here and now, when you appreciate the things, the apparently bad things that people did for you in the past, when you appreciate where you are now, you're ready to act. You're ready to behave yourself. And you're ready, through your actions, to do exactly and only exactly what you need to do to bring about the kind of life that you would love to live, which, by the way, you absolutely deserve. When we live our lives that way, everything that we need to do just gets done, and it gets done with an effortlessness that is characterized by what the University of Chicago calls flow. You might know it as being in the zone. When people are in the zone, they effortlessly do what they need to do and the outcomes that they are looking for simply, quote unquote, from many of my clients, fall into their lap. What's the moral of this week's episode? Well, first of all, you're surrounded by normal crazy people. There's an inevitability to that. Secondly, they don't know what they're doing. So if they treat you badly or do something awful to you, so what? You move on. Whatever they did, they didn't mean it. And in any event, what they did, they did for you. Even if somebody, even if some, as we call them in this podcast, energy vampire, or some black hole, as I described them a few weeks ago, somebody's hanging out of you, dragging you down into their normal crazy drama. Even that you should be thankful for. Because that gives you an opportunity to practice being present, to practice being clear in your mind, to practice being in the here and now and appreciating the joy of living in the here and now. As I said to somebody a couple of days ago, when they said, I'm going to have to spend a whole week with a whole board of normal, crazy people as we strategize for a whole week together. I said to the individual in question, let them entertain you. Don't get involved in the circus. Remember what they are. Luxuriate in the madness of it all. And have a good laugh at them. Preferably, though, not to their faces. And on that note, we'll wrap up this particular episode. And we will talk again next week. One final thing. I have a new free online training program. Just gone online a week or two ago. If you click the link associated with this podcast, you can get straight into that straight away. Because the more we immerse ourselves in this stuff, the further we go on this journey, which happens to be life's great adventure. Your life's great adventure. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough, called to succeed, just let go. And for more information, visit www.willie-hoyle.com.